Dr. Ely, how you doing? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I'm extra hype. Ask me why. Why are you extra hype today? Girl, because we are on <laughs> episode 18 of Hillman Class Reunion and we are finally, finally about finally. to talk about <laughs> season two, episode one of a different world oh my gosh yes we made it we made it it. (laughs) Woo! it took it took a while but we got here but we're thorough that's why it took a while it took a while but yes we are thorough say that again so i'm definitely excited to get started so you know just to remind our classmates we've structured the podcast to review each and every single episode of the second season of A Different World in chronological order, being the order that they aired. So classmates, pull out your blankets, your memories, your flasks, and come hang out with us on the quad as we review and discuss the best sitcom ever. Yes, the best and the most important sitcom ever. Yes, the best and the most important sitcom. So Portia, give us a recap. Where are we going? All right. So in our previous episode, y'all know that we talked about the Cosby Show episode that let the audience know that Denise Huxtable and Lisa Bonet, the actress, would not be returning to a different world. So that's a bit bittersweet right there. And that happened on October 6, 1988 at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Mm-hmm. And so now we move ahead half an hour to 8.30 p.m. Eastern. 7.30 Central, same night, and we get to see what Hillman College and A Different World is like without its former star. Y'all, this is big. There are very few shows mm-hmm. that have survived without its lead. So, you know, just, right. you know, <laughs> mark that. <laughs> right. You know, which is a testament to how great the show itself was, right? The show was not dependent on a character character excuse me or you know a one central figure which is you know just speaks to speaks volumes to how well the show is produced written and directed right that's right that's right and you know and lots of credit goes to uh debbie allen of course which we have talked about thoroughly and we will continue to talk about and also the team that she put together to to make this all happen Uh, So, yes, this is a very big episode and it's almost like another series debut because in so many ways, this season is going to be so different from the previous season. Um, So this is technically a season premiere, but it feels like a series debut. Mm -hmm. Again, this is season two, episode one of A Different World, and it is called Dr. War is Hell. That's Mm. quite a title. (laughs) Quite a title. (laughs) All right, so the summary for this episode is the following. As the new school year begins, Dwayne faces the prospect of taking a calculus class from a tough professor nicknamed Dr. War. I wonder who that might be. (laughs) Who he fears could expose his academic success as a fluke and destroy his dreams of becoming an engineer. Meanwhile, Whitley and Jaleesa meet their new roommates. All right. This episode was directed by Debbie Allen. Portia, anything you want to add about Debbie Allen? Just that she's amazing. 
and uh, she is a living legend. I mean, we already covered her. Check out episodes 15 and 16. And yeah. Yeah, she's (laughs) truly amazing. Uh, The writer of this episode is Thad Mumford. So Thad Mumford is a familiar name. He's the writer from the first season, right, Porsche? Yeah, yeah. He he wrote several episodes in the first season. And, you know, we kind of mentioned this in um, either episode 15 or 16. It must have been 16. Um, a little bit about Tad Mumford, because in one of his interviews from the tele- Television Academy, the late Thad Mumford, who passed away in, in 2018, before he passed away, he let his feelings be known uh, <laughs> about Miss Allen. We love her, but we've never worked with her. He has. And by his assessment, he <laughs> felt like she was she was she was not an excellent director. He claimed she didn't know what she was doing had these characters speak in Ebonics rather than English. He just did not like the way that she twisted and turned this show. And, you know, clearly, clearly there was a power struggle. Um, and right. he he even said that he felt the best A Different World episodes were the ones that she did not direct. So, well, you know what? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. So we think yeah. Debbie Allen is <laughs> we think Debbie Allen is great and I said or we said what we said. So <laughs> Yeah, but you know, yeah, uh no disrespect to Mr. Tad Mumford. You know, the what what we're talking about really is how the sausage gets made at times yeah. and you know, we love we love what we saw, but we don't know what went into you know, the things that we that we ended up seeing on the screen. So we appreciate the effort and we also understand that that work is work and you know if if you if someone were to ask you about your coworkers you might not say <laughs> the most right. pleasing things about all of your coworkers as well she was a coworker right. with him and he was not he wasn't going to get dazzled by no miss Debbie Allen this is <laughs> he was he was like no <laughs> no thank you okay uh in terms of producers Executive producers are still Marcy Carsey and Tom Warner. Co-executive producers, we see Thad Mumford again and Margie Peters. So, Portia, is this the first time we've come across Margie Peters in a different world? I'm not sure if this is the first time. It, It may be. I know that she wrote a few episodes of A Different World. Just can't remember if they were season one. Right. Um. And then she also wrote and produced on Valerie, if anybody remembers that that show from the 80s sitcom, um, and also The Facts of Life. Definitely people remember that show. And she was also a creative consultant on Thea. Thea! Thea! That was the show where we met Brandy Norwood, right? That's right. When she okay. went by Brandy Norwood, and then she, she became by- superstar Brandy. <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think, I don't remember Margie Peters from uh, season one, but nonetheless, happy to have her. Mm -hmm. Um, Producers, also Debbie Allen and Joanne Curley-Kerner. And Joanne was, um, we talked about her in our discussions of season one too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And then we have co-producer Susan Fells-Heal. 
also another carryover from season one. She's still here. And associate producer Nancy Haas or Nancy Haas. Yes, she was a former associate producer on season four of The Cosby Show. Most recently, she's still in the game. She went on to produce the show Whitney, Kevin Can Wait, and The Crew. So you can still enjoy, enjoy her creations. All right. So who's in this episode? Episode one, season two. Um, lots of familiar faces and also some new ones. So the grown woman is back. <laughs> Jaleesa Benson played by Don Lewis. Uh, Whitley Gilbert played by Jasmine Guy. And so one interesting fun fact, as you like to call it, Portia, I was looking at an, an interview that Debbie Allen did. She said that she actually knew Jasmine Guy prior to A Different World. Um, She said in an interview that she actually had brought Jasmine to L.A. to work on Fame. So seeing her again on A Different World was a bit of a reunion of sorts. And you probably told us this in season one, but, you know, I think it's um, cool to remember or to inform our audience for those who don't know that Jasmine Guy actually has a pretty extensive dance background, uh, which is a really cool Debbie Allen connection. Because at the age of 17, she actually moved to New York City to study dance at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center. Also, we have back Dwayne, Cleophis Wayne. (laughs) I'm glad to uh, remember his middle name in there, played by Kadeem Hardison. Debbie Allen also knew Kadeem Hardison. And Portia, you schooled me on who Kadeem's mom was, Beth Hardison. Uh, she was in the entertainment industry too, right? What, what was she, what's, what's her background again? She worked in fashion. You know, okay. speaking of Denise wanting to be in fashion, she, <laughs> uh, I don't know if she was a model, but I do believe that she was a, a like a model agent or something like that. But she, okay. she also was a bit of an activist. She did a lot of stuff trying to advocate for black uh, models in particular. Oh, wow. That, that's a great tidbit. Thanks. Thanks for um, adding that. But uh, in that same interview where Debbie Allen was talking about her relationship with Jasmine Guy, she also mentioned that she knew Kadeem Hardison as a child because she was pretty good friends with his mom again Beth Hardison um they were both in the entertainment industry and she was like Kadeem used to jump on her waterbed <laughs> remember <laughs> waterbed yes now he's all grown up <laughs> now he's all grown up and working on the show um our renaissance woman Letitia Letty Bostic is back played by Mary Alice mm-hmm. we have a reinvented Ron Johnson, played by Daryl Bell. Walter Oakes um, has a more significant role here, played by Sinbad. Uh, And then we got some new folks. Kimberly Reese, played by Charnel Brown. Portia, I know you got some background on Charnel Brown. Yes. So she came with some, you know, some strong acting credits herself when she joined the show. She actually made her Broadway debut as the first American cast member of the musical Serafina in 1988. If you remember that, you may be more familiar with the movie, 
but it started off as a a uh, theatrical. I mean, it started off as a musical, a stage musical. Mm-hmm. And so, possibly out of all of the cast members today, she's probably been the least visible since the show ended. Um, however, she is still very much involved in the entertainment industry. Okay. Um, just on the other side of it, she's you know over the years she's made several guest appearances on shows like Living Single, Girlfriends, Martin, My Wife and Kids. Um, according to IMDb, she has several films in various states of production. So we may actually see her doing more press and becoming more visible soon. But perhaps most notably, since 1999, she's been running the Charnel Brown Acting Academy in Houston, Texas, which is Debbie Allen's hometown. Nice. Yes. So she's been she's been shaping and molding, you know, some talent that I bet it won't be too long before we start to see them pop up on the national scene. Um, mm-hmm. She's been doing that for, for the past 20 years. Fun fact, though. Prior to her being cast on A Different World, Chanel Brown actually was part of this Hillman College universe, Cosby Show universe, because she had an uncredited guest appearance on season three, episode 19 of the Cosby Show. It was the episode where Denise's friend was pregnant. And so they threw a baby shower for her at the Huxtable household. And the friend was played by Leela Roshan. Oh, I remember. Now I got to go back and watch that. Yeah. Huh. Watch it and you'll see you see a, a young Charnel Brown just smiling and just part of the crowd, <laughs> part of the multicultural crowd. Right, right. With those pretty teeth. Yes. As those Ms. Kimberly Reese teeth. <laughs> yes. Pretty white teeth. Oh, thanks for those tidbits. I did not, um, I was not aware of her extensive background. Uh, another new face we see in this episode is the character of Winifred Freddie Brooks, played by Cree Summer. Well, she actually, her, her name is Cree Summer Franks. Oh, Franks okay. is her real last name. Yeah, I found that out too. But Cree Summer is an accomplished actress and a legendary voice actress, probably more so known for her voice acting. You really have to go to her IMDb page. She's done everything, almost every black female character <laughs> or or not, because, you know, cartoons are cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we've seen something with Cree Summer's voice on it. Um, she's probably best well known for her iconic voiceover roles as Susie Carmichael in Rugrats. Remember the little black girl in Rugrats? Mm-hmm. Um, Elmira in Tiny Toon Adventures. Oh. And yes, she played that mean girl, Elmira. And Penny from Inspector Gadget. <gasps> that was her. Shut the front door. Mm-hmm. Yep. She, she she did a lot of stuff as a child, and I, and she was a child when she did Inspector Gadget mind blown I had yes. no idea Penny was black <laughs> yes 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 so Cree Summer has been in the game for a long time so she's she's known for Freddie Brooks but she's known for so much more she was born in California but she was primarily raised in Canada and is a member of the Plains Cree First Nations um, so if 
we'll get into it later, but you may notice uh, like a dream catcher kind of situation by her bed. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. I was just about to mention it. Yeah. So I don't know if Freddie necessarily, you know, over the years, I don't know if Freddie identified as being part of the, you know, Native American indigenous uh, culture, but Cree mm-hmm. Summer definitely identifies. Yeah, so Fer- Plains Cree First Nations. And also both her, her brother, and her father are all actors and voiceover artists. So they're, you know, keeping it in the family. This is the family business. And one more fun fact Although they weren't on a different world at the same time, she's actually best friends with Lisa Bonet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't know if they were friends, you know, back in the the 80s like that, and perhaps they mm-hmm. were. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they rolled in the same crowds at that time, but you know, follow them on social media or at least follow Cree Summer on social media. I don't know if Lisa Bonet is active like that, but yeah, Cree Summer will We'll definitely shout out Lisa Bonet. So, yep, that's awesome, her. Awesome. And then last but certainly not least, we have Colonel Bradford Taylor, played by Glenn Thurman. So I know you got the deets on him. Yes, this is a legendary Emmy Award winning actor, Glenn Thurman. Um, he has been a fixture on stage, in film, and on television for decades he actually uh, started off as a child star, child actor. He enjoyed early success originating the role of Travis Younger in A Raisin in the Sun on oh, Broadway. Wow. Yes, in 1959, starring opposite Sidney Poitier, Ruby D, Claudia McNeil, and Diana Sands, like acting with greatness. Legendary cast, legendary um, production. Unfortunately, though, he aged out of that role by the time the cast filmed the movie version. So he was replaced by Stephen Perry. So a lot of people are probably more familiar with the with the film, of course. You know, not many people have access to Broadway. Mm-hmm. But he also went on to act in various stage, TV, and film productions, including the primetime soap Peyton's Place and Cooley High, which I know a lot of folks know about. That was in 1975. Um, he's also an accomplished TV director. He directed several episodes of Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The Wayans Brothers, and A Different World. Oh, yes, I so we'll we'll make that. sure to make note of that when, when those episodes pop up. Mm-hmm. Most recently, though, he starred in Fargo alongside Chris Rock. And he uh, was a member of the ensemble cast of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You know, I don't know if you saw it, but... I have not seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It is on my to-do list. I have not seen it yet, but I have seen him in those episodes of Fargo. Yeah, I haven't seen Fargo yet, but um, that's on my list. But Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was great. He did an excellent job, and I believe in an interview he said he had played that role, the role that he plays in the movie. He played it in another stage production, so you oh, know cool. he he was very very familiar with the with the material. But anyway. According to IMDb, he is also executive producing a documentary on actress Verne Watson, who, as we know, played Carla, the first dorm director of Gilbert Hall. Remember that? And may be best known as playing Will's mama in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He's doing a documentary on her. Really? 
Yes, yes. Which is amazing because, you know, there's so many actors and actresses, black actors and actresses Mm -hmm. that have been around forever. But we just don't know that much about them. Right. And so they deserve those flowers just as much as, you know, the big marquee names. Right. And obviously she has a story because he's doing a full length documentary. That's cool. I would be very interested in, in seeing that. Yeah, can't wait to watch that. And of course, the elephant in the room, if you're aware of this elephant, maybe you're not. Um, of course, he is the ex-husband of legendary singer Aretha Franklin, who sang the new A Different World theme song. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't know that until we started, you know, doing the research for this podcast is when I found out that he had been a married that he and Aretha Franklin have been married. And also, you know, there's the um, the Aretha Franklin biopic on Hulu. And I forget which cable channel, but I hear it's like eight episodes. Um, I haven't seen it, but I have heard pretty positive things about it. And, um, you know, they do talk about Mr. Glenn Terman. Oh, now that that would be interesting to see how that one goes. I've heard, I haven't heard specifically about the miniseries, Mm -hmm. but I've heard about the family's reaction to it. Oh, yeah. They're not happy, right? They're not very happy. They, Mm -hmm. They do not support it. They would rather people watch the feature film starring uh, Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin. But anyway. Speaking of Aretha Franklin and Glenn Turman, let's talk about these opening credits, though. First things first. Yes, this is the first time we hear the new song and see the new opening credits. Girl, what did you think? Do you remember how you felt watching that? Or how do you feel now? Especially given that, you know, we've done the whole season one thing and now we're finally at season two. Like, what's the difference for you? Yeah, so I don't remember the first time that I saw it, but yeah, definitely after we've been spending a whole season talking about season one and and now comparing it to season two, I mean, it is like you are making a a statement, like you are planting a flag in the ground that we got a new show. We done already addressed that Denise ain't coming back. We done hit the reset button from the beginning. You mm-hmm. hear that guitar, them couple notes, and then you hear Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul. How did they pull that off? We talked about how they pulled that off in, <laughs> in episode 16. Go back and yes. listen to that. Please do. Yeah, but still, it's like, that's amazing because just how do you get the biggest R&B singer of all time to sing the theme song to a show that honestly like we talked about it was the number two show in the country but it was not very well received the critics tore it up so you know it got it came back on the strength of of Bill Cosby for sure but it's amazing that you know after that little rinky dink showing 
they were able to manage Aretha Franklin to come back and say, this is, you know, I don't know what y'all thought, but this is a whole (laughs) new thing. We black, black. Right. Because at this time, she's been either, this is right before her induction or around the time she gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? I think so. Yeah, because in our previous episode, you know, we were talking about the timeline. We do mention it. So, you know, oh, yeah. to, to echo your point, they got the Queen of Soul doing or singing the opening credits, you know, for this. It's, like you said, it's number two show, but it's still a small show. And we don't know what this new uh, incarnation or we don't know what this reincarnation is or, you know, we mm-hmm. don't know what to expect. So that's quite exciting. Um, and, you know, just to do our due diligence, let's do like a quick compare and contrast to season one. So, you know, season one opening credits, you know, everybody's on the back of a truck <laughs> <laughs> with like fire hose. Like you, you're not even sure we're talking about a college experience here, right? Because, you know, they're, they're on the truck, they're playing at one point, um, Jaleesa, you know, does double, you see her doing double Dutch with, you know, two little girls, whatever, but nothing about the opening credits really say, you know, black, <laughs> nothing about it really said, I'm, and we're talking about season one, um, you know, it, it's not very soulful, it's just kind of, I don't know what this is. Well, no, I, well, we did talk about the fact that it does give you small town vibes, yeah, okay. it, it tells you at least, you know, we're in the South or we're in a, okay. a small, sleepy town. It gives you that kind of indication. True. Yeah. But we don't know anything specific about them. We don't know the relationship of these people. We don't know if they're friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, nothing. All we know is that somebody can do double Dutch. We know that <laughs> Denise saw a fine man when she was on the payphone, she just walked away from that quarter to go uh, chase after this man. Right. Uh, we know that Maggie don't care about nobody's bikes because <laughs> she pulled her bike up and everything fell and she just ran. Uh, <laughs> and then we hilarious. know that they like to sit on the pick- back of the pickup truck and play piano. Like, you know, it's cute, but it ain't telling us nothing. True. But then, you know, we pivot to the opening credits for season two. And, you know, as we just mentioned, the music is soulful. It's a vibe. And we also get, we get a preview of our characters. Yeah. So I think, did we see Kadeem first or Whitley? We saw Whitley first and then Jaleesa and then uh, Dwayne. Right. Okay. So we see Whitley. She's in the mirror. So we know, you know, she's a bit self-absorbed, right? Like she's the, she's kind of like the diva of the show. Um, Jaleesa, what's going on with Jaleesa? I remember her tearing up the paper and kind of. Yeah, she was just studying. But, you know, I think, I think the bigger thing is just, we were able to see each character, new and old, singled out. They each had their own vignette. True. And. And they were all kind of saying something about the character, but more so saying something about the show. So, uh, you know, this is an HBCU vibe. We see all the people 
in the foreground and background, they're all black. We're seeing a marching band walk through. We're seeing folks yes. studying. We're seeing uh, Greek life. We're seeing partying. We're seeing, you know, folks getting ready with, with uh, you know, Whitley. She was getting ready for the day. She's, you know, kind of, you see the girls in the background with their hair and rollers and stuff. And then she's getting dressed. You're seeing folks, uh, you're seeing ROTC representation yeah. there. Yeah. Once we see uh, Colonel Taylor, you're seeing... Uh, all this go through and then at the very end you're seeing these black young black people with cap and gown throwing their caps in the air graduating that's the full you know lifespan of of student life at an hbcu right there in whatever 30 seconds or less right yeah that's an excellent synopsis you just provided it definitely lets you know that this is going to be different we're going to a real black college now. Yeah. And I think, I do believe that sequence was directed by Debbie Allen as well. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She put her stamp on it visually and, you know, of course, musically. Again, we got, we got uh, the queen, Aretha Franklin, and this song has a beat, y'all. It got it's a, a beat. It's a vibe. <laughs> it's a whole vibe. Yes, and you know, not to not to belabor the point, but I do really want to make sure that we shout out model slash dancer slash actress Miss Tatiana Thumson. Girl, how did you pull this out? Like, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's a it's a you know fun fact, but it's been I've seen this float around, but I just want to make sure that we all know. That this woman, she she's the one that was in that scene with Dwayne, you know, where he's kind of posted yeah. up on the wall, and then she's she's like turns his head. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you look at the entire opening sequence, she's all throughout. She's like yeah. all in the background, uh, as are the rest of them. They're all kind of doing little things, um, you know, reusing the the different cast members in different ways. Um, but she stands out because she was the love interest. And Michael Jackson's 1987 video, The Way You Make Me Feel. Y'all remember that video? Right. How how did you, like... I just knew. I recognized <laughs> her. How did you know that? Her. I knew what she looked like. I remember when that video came out, and I remember how huge that was. That okay. video was on all the time. And I remember I hated that video with a Why? passion. I could not stand it. I've never, <laughs> I've never liked the whole, you know, cat and mouse thing. It always turned me off. And it was, you know, the if you remember, the video is supposed to be Michael Jackson and his boys. And then she's with her girls. One of her girls was Latoya Jackson, by the way. Check yeah, that I out. Um, but yeah, he catches her eye. And so the whole video, it's at night. And he's like chasing her. And she's walking around with a short dress at night. And he's like trying to get her alone. And he won't take no for an answer at the end of the day. <laughs> he won't take no for an answer. And he's following her everywhere at night. I didn't like it when I was seven. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> too fond of it now. I but, you. you know, and it, but it ends with her clearly appreciating the attention and they hug. Because, you know, Michael Jackson wasn't, wasn't really kissing nobody in no videos. No. Um, 
And so, yeah, so they hug and stuff. And that video was huge. That song was huge. Michael Jackson was huge at that time. I cannot overstate how big a moment that was. And she became a celebrity almost overnight. So the Mm -hmm. fact that she ended up in this opening credit sequence, that's also a flex. We got the biggest, we got the biggest girl out here in our video. I mean, in our, in our show. And, um, we might be able to spot a couple of those folks in the opening credits as, you know, some background characters throughout the season as well. We'll try to pick those out, but I do not believe we'll see her because she, you know, blew up and she ended up joining Michael Jackson on his world tour at the time. Um, to kind of walk around the stage and be, you know, dancing a little bit when he performed The Way You Make Me Feel. And fun fact, she got dismissed because she decided to, uh, you know, uh, improvise and she kissed him unexpectedly on the stage. He wasn't ready for that. And so his people told her, thank you. You can go home now. Oh, so, wow. that's what happened with that allegedly. Oh. So anyway, that that's that's a nice little little fun fact. Miss Tatiana yes. Thompson <laughs> was in the opening credits of A Different World, and she was that girl okay. in the way you make me feel. She now that I think about it, that's definitely her. Like I can see the Michael Jackson video now. I can see her now. Swain, Dwayne's chin back. So yeah, that's her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- thank you for all of that good history, <laughs> Dr. Flowers, regarding the opening credits. Who knew there was so much in there? Could have been a whole episode, <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> Listen, we got we got to be here to tell the story. Somebody got to tell the story. Somebody got to record the history, let the people know. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, Let's get into this episode. So the first scene opens up on the steps of Gilbert Hall as students are excitedly moving back to campus to initiate their fall semester. We see Jaleesa is speaking to Letty about the most effective way to relay the dorm rules to incoming freshmen. So you see Jaleesa is still being the grown woman. So it looks like, you know, from this opening scene that she's maybe a a resident assistant or maybe assistant dorm director. But, you know, she wants to start the year off on the right foot. Shortly thereafter, we see Dwayne and Ron. They're walking by and Dwayne is a bit anxious and Ron is trying to figure his bestie out like, man, what is wrong? So initially... Ron thinks that Dwayne is feeling some kind of way that Denise is not returning to Hillman. So like within the first two to three minutes of this episode, you know, they make it clear that Denise will not be back. They don't belabor the point, but it's definitely clear that she won't be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Dwayne lets Ron know, you know, no, it's, it's not Denise. That's, um, it's not the fact that Denise is coming back, but we realize that Dwayne is actually quite nervous about taking calculus with Dr. War. Oof. 
<laughs> and, you know, we also see that some things never change as both guys are still eyeing the ladies. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Flowers, as I just noted, the show wastes no time disclosing the fact that, you know, the Denise chapter is closed. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's not much more you can do or say. It's probably best to get that out the way. I mean, you know, granted, they did spend a whole episode prior to that with the Cosby episode explaining she's not coming back. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, there's no use in belaboring the point. We're going to acknowledge that she's not here, but we're also going to move on because there's a lot to say. And we got a lot of new characters to to introduce as well. So, you know, let's go. Okay. It's it's always interesting when you have shows that have to continue after the departure of of their stars, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it can always be awkward. But yeah, so but I I would say overall. They got a lot to talk about in this first episode. They definitely did it. <laughs> uh, Debbie Allen was was probably on her Debbie Allen. She had that stick and she was moving. Yeah. But you know what? I do appreciate the transition. At least they didn't do what they did on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Aunt Viv. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Was kinda, it was a little. It was a bit silly, to be honest. But It was a little shady, too. It, it was a bit shady, but... I'm not sure if there's, I don't know what would have been a more truthful uh, way to handle that. But nonetheless, we're talking about a different world. So what else did you notice um, in that first opening scene? Well, for me, I just, you know, I just, I just thought it was really cool how they opened up. We're seeing the, the front of Gilbert Hall, the exterior of Gilbert Hall, and we see this welcome to Hillman banner. So again, you know, this this is new. Welcome here. We back like we never left, but we but we left and we came back different. So mm-hmm. you know we hit the the reset button and this is your new introduction to Hillman. And it was just cool to see that and to see the you know all the activity of the students going in and out, and you see the um you know, the credits created by William H. Cosby Jr. EDD. Because, you know, he had to use his full name with Mm -hmm. his degree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, for sure, this ain't Bill Cosby. This is William H. Cosby Jr. EDD. And we talked about that season one, I think episode one or two. So if you want some information or intel on that, please go back and listen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you see written by Tad Mumford, who we already talked about. And we uh, then we see produced and directed by Debbie Allen. And it's just it was just really cool to just kind of see that visual. Yeah. And also, you know, back to the uh, in the in the scene. So, you know, Dwayne is really nervous about taking calculus um, with Dr. War. Do you recall having professors or you know kind of debating whether or not you would take a class with a professor whose reputation you were a bit intimidated by uh I'm sure I did um maybe not the 
professor, but the class mm-hmm. more so. Yeah, I don't recall prof- uh, uh, having or hearing about specific professors with with um, intimidating reputations. There was one professor. I don't know if intimidating is the word. There's another word that is related to intimidating. Um, respected, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at Colgate, uh, Dr. Sindema, Professor Sindema, and he was a professor in philosophy and religion. And, you know, that's outside of my major. But I had a lot of friends who had taken his courses and they had so many things to say. They they talked about how difficult his classes were, yet how um, how much they appreciated him. And they speak so lovingly about him even to this day. And I remember hearing that, but also I, I had lots of classes that I needed to take in order to, I had been bouncing around a, a couple of different majors. So I needed to make sure I got all my classes in <laughs> so right. I could graduate. So I didn't have time to to go explore what Dr. Sindema was talking about. And, you know, whenever my, my classmates would talk about him, especially after we graduated, I kind of, you know, I would always have those feelings of, you know, slight regret. I, I wish that I had been able to experience being taught by him because he seemed to be really, um, you know, a really amazing instructor and and mentor to so many, especially to 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 the black students. There's only just a a handful or less than a handful of black professors on campus, mm-hmm. so his presence really really made a difference. But yeah, I I would say uh, slightly slightly less than a Doctor War kind of vibe, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very respected on campus. What about you? Yeah, so I can definitely identify um, with Dwayne here. My calculus professor, actually, Dr. Fahmy, he was Egyptian, I think. He was from Egypt. I forgot exactly where. But he had quite a reputation for being a stern and hard professor. And I was quite intimidated by the idea of taking his course. And, you know, students with my peers would say or other students would say, you know, don't take Fami. If you could take this other professor, take this other professor. But I remember uh, I had gotten to the point where the other professors just did not fit into my schedule. So I ended up enrolling in Dr. Fami's Calc 1 class. And when I tell you he's the best math instructor I ever had in my life, (laughs) And I ended up taking Calc 2 with him at differential equations and uh, linear algebra. But when he really made me learn math, and yes, he was stern, he was strict, you had to be in his classroom on time. If you were late, he literally locked the door, he would put a chair (laughs) under the door handle so you couldn't get in. He was um, one of the, actually not even one, he was the best math instructor that I ever had and he truly made me uh, or he's responsible for my love of math and the success that I was able to have in in economics in grad school so much appreciated shout out to Dr. Pommy. Wow that's amazing yeah uh, and just one last thing obviously or not maybe not so obviously but one thing you notice is the fashion in the show the students 
or the wardrobes are definitely fashion forward from the time for the time. Uh, do you have any comments about what Dwayne and Ron are wearing? Yeah, you know, we got to show that these are these aren't freshmen anymore. They, these are sophomores. They've been around a little bit. They they got a little maturity to them. So they're coming on campus with suits on. Ron got his, you know, his his uh, beige tan looking suit and hat, and he's he's ready to to see all this fresh meat. Because they're hanging out in front of the women's dorm, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are not at their dorm. They are at the women's dorm, Gilbert Hall. And we see Dwayne with his suit jacket on. Girl, they pull out. That boy was wearing some shorts. I said, oh, so that was the fashion. You wear a suit jacket and then you got on some shorts. Okay. That I had seen that combo. That was the style then. That's definitely late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> I forgot that style. Yeah. I forgot that one. So, yeah, I, I was a little taken aback. I was like, oh, okay. You can... <laughs> business on top and fun on the bottom, I guess. Party at the bottom. Yeah, business on top, party on bottom. All right. So, that's pretty much the first scene. So, I definitely feel we're at an HBCU. And as I harken back to my first day on campus, definitely um, some parallels. The guys gawking, hanging out and gawking at the freshmen moving in (laughs) on day one was definitely a familiar scene. Being anxious about, you know, roommates, etc. All very familiar. And speaking of roommates, uh, after we pivot from Dwayne and Ron, we see Whitley Gilbert arrive at the dorm with her Louis Vuitton case in hand, eager to meet her new roommate, which is very different from season one when she had a single room, right? She, she had, had a double room, room, but she had it to herself. Okay, Girl, she that, had a, that was not a single <laughs> True, true, true. She had a double room, but she had it to herself. Uh, Letty and Jalisa are shocked by her eagerness, but she reveals it's a front because she plans on running the little freshman away anyway. So next we see Ron and Dwayne assisting Whitley by bringing up her things, and Whitley is instantly bothered by her new roommate, who has claimed Whitley's rifle bed by the window. After forced pleasantries, we learn that Whitley's new roommate is Miss Kimberly Reese from Columbus, Ohio. Shout out to Columbus, Ohio. Her mom is a bookkeeper and her dad is a police officer. So we can see there are some significant differences in upbringing between the two young women. Mm -hmm. The two don't seem to have a lot in common at this point. And Whitley throws a tantrum about not having the bed by the window. Uh, Miss Kim, I think, is very mature. <laughs> she concedes by giving up the bed, but don't be fooled, honey. Miss Kimberly Reese is not a pushover because after Whitley expresses disgust over her human anatomy poster that she hangs on the wall, Kim leverages the fact that Whitley has the bed by the window, and she's like, "Look, sister, either you, if you want to keep that bed by the window." I'm keeping this poster up. And so Willie and that moment gives in. Mm-hmm. 
So, what are some of the perceived similarities and differences between these two new roomies? Well, you know, it it really does seem from from the jump, and we'll continue to see it throughout the episode, that they kind of set them up as opposites, clearly, and we spent a whole season getting to know Whitley as being this debutante, you know, uh, wealthy, upper crust kind of girl who has a, a father for a judge and a socialite for a mother. And then now we got this working class girl in Kimber- Kimberly Reese coming in and her father's a police officer, mother's bookkeeper. And she's just, she she's not, she's not moved by anything about Whitley. She's just mm-hmm. very self, self-possessed, self-confident. She's just like, hi, my name is Kim. I'm going to be here. Yeah. I, I came here first, so I picked this bed. <laughs> and it's not, and it's a real interesting vibe because it's not a nasty, it's not rude. It's just mm-hmm. matter of fact. It's just like, yeah. this is, you know, I'm not going to be pushed over. But also, I don't, this ain't a big deal to me. So if you want the bed, fine. Get the bed. Clearly, it means something to you because Whitley had, <laughs> Whitley had a mom. She had to fight for her rights. Whitley had a bit of a meltdown. She said her mother, her mother's mother, her aunt Francine, and her cousin Alicia all slept in that bed. And she will not be the one to break the family tradition. This is her bed. Speaking of Aunt Francine, did Letty have some history with Aunt Francine? I think that's the one that that <laughs> Letty called a chucklehead. <laughs> I won't forget that. I had to bring that up. I had to bring that up. Anyway, okay. I'm yes. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Auntie Chucklehead slept in that bed too. And Whitley wasn't about to give it up to no Kimberly Reese from Columbus, Ohio. And yeah, Kim, Kim was just like, all right, fine, whatever. But, you yeah. know, I'm here and we both have rights to this room. So I'll be over here, but I'm going to put up this poster because I know what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I'm not just here to hold up some family tradition. Yeah, my brother came here too, but I'm here so that I can be a pre-med major and go on and be a doctor. If I'm going to do that, then I need to study this human anatomy poster. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to have to deal. And that's it. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate it because right away we established the differences between the two, but we also established that Whitley's going to have to figure out how to, how to manage or how to um, communicate and relate to people who are not subservient to her. Yeah. Because last season, you know, we didn't talk about this part just yet, but girl, Millie's gone. Yes. Millie is gone. She don't got no flunky no more. If Millie was still here, she probably would have been in cahoots with her to try to get Kim out, but she ain't got nobody. <laughs> right. And we we do talk about that a little bit. And well, we talked about that a little bit in the previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that dynamic. So, yeah. So, yeah, definitely some differences there. But, you know, sim- similarly, they are they both have strong personalities and, and they're both confident in who they are. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely a- appreciate that, especially again, Miss Kimberly Reese being a fresh person or a freshman because freshmen can be intimidated, right? Having to roommate 
or having to room with an upperclassman. But not Miss Reese. She was like, to your point, she's like, I'm here. I know what I'm here for. And, you know, I heard you shut up. <laughs> basically, basically, she's just like, all right. And I'm getting an idea of who I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with somebody yeah. who's not used to sharing, who's not yeah. used to sharing their space, who's not used to not getting their way all the time. Absolutely. So Kim's just yeah. like, all right, let me just, let me handle you. So one more thing, as I was watching the opening of this show, I did find it interesting that both seasons one and two premiere with a roommate situation. We explain the roommate dynamics, which is appropriate when you are doing a show that features college students. But something else that for me stood out in comparing and contrasting seasons one and two, the humor is very different, in my opinion. I just thought I found the humor and the areas of comic relief to be less corny compared to season one. So I definitely could appreciate that. Well, What's interesting is that, as we said, this is Tab Mumford that wrote this episode, and he wrote several episodes of season one. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine, I would wonder if that may be less about the writing and more about the delivery, maybe some mm -hmm. of the actors, maybe the direction. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have you can have words on a page, but. It ain't funny until somebody delivers it in a funny way. So right. it, it is interesting, again, to see that that hand of, of Debbie Allen kind of shape and shift things around, even when mm -hmm. when there's some of uh, some of the pieces are very similar to before. Absolutely. Well, now is probably a good time to pause and take a break. Then once we return, we will see what happens when Dwayne tries to avoid Dr. War's class. Eek. <laughs> Hillman Class Reunion is committed to supporting institutions that center Black people and communities. We hope that as you return week after week to listen to our podcast, you will hear us use our voices in support of historically Black colleges and universities. And we encourage our classmates to learn about, advocate for, and actively support these institutions of higher education. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every part of society, with Black lives, Black communities, and Black institutions being among the hardest hit. Therefore, all season long, we will highlight and donate to a variety of HBCUs, which have long been the foundation of Black excellence, Black intelligence, and Black innovation. Now more than ever, these institutions need our support. This week, we are highlighting and donating to Cheney University in Cheney, Pennsylvania. Founded in 1837, Cheney has the distinction of being the nation's first HBCU. Go to cheney.edu, that's C-H-E-Y-N-E-Y dot E-D-U, or hillmanclassreunion.com backslash WordPress to learn more about Cheney University and ways you can support. And welcome back, classmates. The next scene takes us to Jaleesa's room, where a smitten and bubbly young lady enters the room and reveals her crush on Dwayne Wayne. 
she may even think he's the one as in you know her future husband the one so in more current terminology and this is probably not current anymore but you know she thinks he has swag you know i'm just gonna tell my age i guess <laughs> she says because <laughs> who knows what the children are saying they probably just would say you know he's a vibe i know vibe is the word now it's the word now so you know for her Dwayne is a whole vibe so i get it She's like, even his name sounds like music. So <laughs> she don't know his middle name yet. She don't know Cleophas, honey. <laughs> What's his middle name? Cleophas in season one. <laughs> Cleophas, yeah, Dwayne Cleophas. Oh, okay. Wait, okay. But nonetheless, so uh, again, just you know, comparing and contrasting this with season one. What are you? What are some of the differences you observe? Well, I just thought it was pretty interesting. So again, you know, with season one, we started off establishing that that freshman Dwayne is infatuated with sophomore Denise from the moment that he saw her. And now we see in season two, freshman Freddie is infatuated with sophomore Dwayne. And Freddie happens to be staying in Denise's old dorm room with her old roommate. So it's just a nice little full circle moment. We're just going to turn Freddie into Dwayne and turn Dwayne into Denise. (laughs) That's cute. I never thought about that like that. Yeah. So so what is your impression of Miss Freddie? Freddie is, you know, Freddie's different. We talked about last season about, you know, Black people not being a monolith. And so it was kind Mm -hmm. of cool to see the differences, the, the different types of Black people that were being shown, and we surely get more of that in season two, um, you know, kind of comparing and contrasting Denise and, and uh, Whitley and how they both kind of come from a privileged background, yet they're very different. And then Jaleesa being up in the mix and having a completely different life experience. And now we're seeing more of that, again, with working class um, Kimberly Reese and and wealthy class Whitley. And then we see Freddie, who's like a completely different vibe, a completely different type of black from from New Mexico, coming all the way to Virginia, you know, deciding to go to an HBCU. We don't know exactly what her her upbringing was like, but we can imagine that it was, you know, maybe not completely surrounded by black people. You know, again, we see that dream catcher um, uh, on the wall. And so we we may infer that maybe she has some um, Native American heritage there, perhaps, um, or at least just a strong connection. But also Freddie is like she's embodying that naive excitement that we don't really see a lot for from um you know, in, in black girls, in depictions mm-hmm. of black girls are, are young black women. Like, you know, black women are supposed to be the strong black woman trope. We're supposed to just know everything. Yeah. And, you know, we're supposed to be tough. And, you know, we, whatever emotion we show is, is attitude laden. Instead mm-hmm. of like this hopeful, optimistic, joyful, you know, naive, I just saw a boy that I really like and I just I just want to, you know, dream about having babies with him and, you know, writing my name with his name and, you know, just just 
lots of cute stuff that seems to be reserved for for white women and white girls Mm -hmm. and not given to to black girls and black women so i i just appreciate that depiction you know in in that respect i appreciate that freddie gets to gets to speak for black women with that voice yeah that that's a really great point yeah i like that too i'll also say this she also gives me some strong Maggie vibes. I don't know if you caught that because <laughs> Maggie, you know, again, with, with the whole uh, characterizations of that, that white women get to have versus black women, Maggie mm-hmm. kind of had a bit of the, the naive kind of yeah. flighty thing going on too, at times that Jaleesa had to just kind of put up with and like, Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> and, and so Jaleesa yet again is having to shepherd, this girl who, who yeah. is just like, you know, oh, there's so much is new. This is great. This is awesome. What do you think? Blah, blah. And so Freddie kind of, to me, almost occupies a little bit of that Maggie space. Yeah. But again, it makes it fresh because she's, she's a black girl that's able to occupy that space. Yeah. That's another good observation. I had not thought about that, but yeah, I think you're right. And Jaleesa's being the grown woman, you know, playing that paternal role, shepherding her around. Which actually brings us to our next scene. So we cut to the pit. And first we see Whitley and Kim. So Whitley approaches Kim about the human anatomy poster and apologizes for ripping it down. How nasty. How rude. (laughs) Whitley. (laughs) So nasty. It's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) Just, Girl. And, you know, she offers another compromise. This time, the compromise is is that the poster be placed somewhere else in the room. Specifically, Whitley says, we'll put it on the door. And then Kimberly Reese is like, yeah, on the door where it will be covered by your rope and other things? No, thank you. So Kim obviously sticks to her convictions and declines. You go, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, you know, have a little spat. And then Kim and Whitley exit. Then we see Jaleesa and Freddie at the jukebox. And Freddie is still crooning over her new crush, Dwayne Wayne. The scene then pivots to Ron and Dwayne. And Ron has his sights fixed on the impressionable freshman, Miss Freddie. The next thing we see is that, you know, Jaleesa and Freddie have made their way to the table. And Ron and Dwayne walk towards them and start a conversation. Ron is trying to put the moves on the little freshman Freddie, but she is not really having it because she is still smitten by Dwayne Wayne. Next enters the infamous Dr. War, whom we learn is actually Colonel Taylor. Ron challenges Dwayne. So, you know, topic changes. Ron challenges Dwayne to approach Colonel Taylor to enroll in his calculus class, right? Because he definitely doesn't want to be in Dr. Wars. But Dwayne flakes. He goes over to Colonel Taylor and just starts a total, or rather starts another conversation. So this is our first scene in season two from the pit. One of the observations we made in season one at the pit was that people were dancing. So, you know, and coming up on this episode, I was wondering, will we see people dancing again? Well, yes, P 
people are still dancing in the pit, Dr. Flowers. But this time, it's a little more subtle. The other thing I noticed is that the music doesn't really seem to fit the moves that Jaleesa was making. <laughs> Did you notice anything different about the pit this time around? Um, I noticed there were more black people. Lots of more black people. <laughs> there were more black people around. I don't know. It was just something that was off about the pit last season that just irked me. It it felt <laughs> a little more felt a little more natural, even though there are people still dancing at the pit. <laughs> I don't know. Then maybe that's just my bias showing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it may be both of our biases. <laughs> but yeah, it it was the pit. It it's starting to look a little bit more to what we're used to. But girl. Did you notice how that crowd thinned out good when Dr. War walked in the room? Yes, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that man walked and them children looked and it was like, I got to go. I got to go. Time to go. Part- Time to go. Party's over. And all he did was just walk in and just, he just wanted to get some food. Can he eat? He can eat at the pit too, can he? Seriously, he really can. Can he live? Let Dr. War live. Let Dr. Ward live, but you know he was also there for some ulterior motives. He's probably scoping out these children and trying to figure uh, out who's who and what's what. Yep, definitely. <laughs> All right, so next we find ourselves at Mech Lurkin Hall, which is the men's dorm. Yes, honey, some men's men. <laughs> Where, <laughs> yes, got some men's. <laughs> where Walter Oaks is introducing himself to the male residents as their dorm director and friend. Once the room, and Dr., I'm sorry, not Dr., Walter Oaks has a pretty brief meeting, right? You know, basically he's like, you know, y'all do what y'all need to do. All right, peace out. Mm -hmm. So then the room clears and Walter notices Dwayne is in the corner and he looks quite stressed. And Walter offers Dwayne some help. Dwayne asks Walter if he could please speak to Colonel Taylor to secure his enrollment in Dr. Combs' class. So Dr. Combs teaches the other section of calculus. Walter tries to get to the bottom of Dwayne's anxiety, but Dwayne is not convinced that he can do well in Colonel Taylor's class. And so we learn that, you know, Dwayne may be dealing with a bit of imposter syndrome. He's thinking, you know, or rather he tells Walter that, you know, I've always been this smart kid, but what if, you know, I've made these good grades and I want to be this engineer and everybody believes in me, but what if I get in Dr. Ward's class or rather Colonel Taylor's class and it's revealed that I'm not the smart person that people think I am or that, you know, I think that I am. So let's talk about this scene. Um, we learned that, you know, Dwayne has imposter syndrome, which I can definitely identify with. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciated that they gave that moment to Dwayne because I think he, he represents a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure many people can relate no matter what it is that they're dealing with, with feelings of, um, inadequacy, um, you know, or, or, or not being secure in, in their own abilities and, and 
being afraid of being found out mm-hmm. or, you know, wondering if they really are as good as, as people say that they are. Sometimes you can be good, but you know, once you, once you get to a, a certain level, you realize, Oh no, this, this was a fluke or, you know, I'm, I'm only average. I'm not, I'm not excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be hard. And I think we talked about it before about, um, you know, or at least I've talked about just the challenges that I faced, uh, particularly going into grad school mm-hmm. and, you know, how my, I, I realized that my identity was kind of tied up in my academic um, achievements. Yeah. And so when those academic achievements weren't coming as frequently as they used to, mm-hmm. that kind of, that kind of knocked me for a loop. I was like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know if I have too much more than being smart. So <laughs> if I'm not smart, what am I? What so, am you know, I? And, you know, mind you, uh, uh, equating smartness to to certain grades and things like that. So it, it can be very difficult. And, you know, he's supposed to be a sophomore. So what is he, 19, 20? Um, and that's a lot to have to to have to deal with. And so it was nice to just kind of hear that. And to also mm-hmm. hear him expressed explicitly, I don't, I don't remember if he said this in season one, but he did. He said in this episode, he wants to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And so to say that out loud, and then to also say, I'm afraid, um, I won't be if I take his class. Right. Um, you know that that's a that's a tough uh, thing to admit, and I'm glad that. I'm glad that they bumped up the character of Walter so that there yes. could be opportun- more opportunities for for Dwayne and 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 Ron and 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 whatnot. More opportunities for the men to have these these male on male kind of one on one. What am I trying to say? You know, like personal conversations. Yes, yes. I I truly appreciate. Um this well-rounded college experience that we are getting, right? Because we see the guys, you know, they're interested in the ladies. And, you know, that, that could be a trope, too, about men in college. It's, you know, it's all about the girls and the parties. But we are dealing with real academic issues, um, you know, that also, you know, that these men are experiencing, but these issues also transcend gender. And, you know, as as we both have talked about before, you know, in previous podcast episodes, you know, we've dealt with, and sometimes I still <laughs> have to, you know, encourage myself out of my imposter syndrome because, you know, grad school was a pretty, I'll be honest, deprecating experience for me, um, you know, but, but God, mm-hmm. but, not, but nonetheless, um, you know, I, I truly appreciate them delving into these real issues of, uh, you know, that real college students face. Uh, so in, in addition to this, this really good content in this scene uh, and really getting the vulnerability and the humanity of, of uh, the character of Duane, I also noticed a lot of the imagery in the scene. So one of the things I noticed, I believe there's a poster of Booker T. Washington. Did you notice that? I didn't catch that one. 
You know who I did catch and probably was overly distracted by? <laughs> so, yeah, I believe we see Booker T. Washington, poster of Booker T. Washington on the wall. And who did you notice, Portia? I saw Whitney Houston on the wall. Sure was. Yes. I saw Whitney Houston. She was definitely America's sweetheart at that time. Yes, the voice, the voice. The voice, the voice. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I thought the comedy was great. I love the comedy. Again, it's it's just, to me, remarkable or notably different. Notably different from season one. Um, anything else that you noticed here? Uh-huh. So. <laughs> she about to come with it. I can tell by that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, Where's the shade? Give us the shade. All right. So, you know, you got all these dudes sitting around listening to Walter. And there's just this one gentleman with his back to the camera. So we can see the back of his head. And this man was balding. And I said, hold up. Wait a minute. These are some grown folks playing children. And now, and I mean, you know, the fantasy was over. Although, you know, some people do do bald very early in life. But it just, it made me realize those are some grown men. Some of those dudes that were standing next to Walter looked like they were easily in their late 20s. <laughs> Good and grown. And it's just, it's funny to me. Of course, you know, a different world is not the first, nor will it be the last to have um, older um, older actors playing mm-hmm. or actors playing um, playing parts that are much younger than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, it's interesting. It, I talked about this before as well, growing up watching A Different World and thinking that college would be very similar to what I saw <laughs> and being sadly mistaken. Uh, I think sometimes we can also be a little misled by uh you know the appearances of others we're seeing these these grown folks and then when we you know when we experience real life we're like oh wow the men just are not the same because no because you're dealing with 19 year old men that look like 19 year olds but you've been watching 29 year old men and thinking it's gonna be the same it ain't (laughs) of course I, i have to interject here though on my campus there were what we call fifth and sixth year seniors (laughs) Well, that too. <laughs> that too. You're right. There, there could be some some super who, seniors who may have been living in the dorm. So <laughs> you're right. There, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. There was definitely some grown-looking men on my campus. <laughs> <laughs> you're no, right. You know, maybe I'm sure the cost of Colgate, you know, even back then, was substantially higher than it was at my alma mater. So maybe that has something to do with the lack of older looking people. But honey, we we had our share of grown looking <laughs> men on our campus. I just have to put that out there. So, you're right, you know, you're right. Miss Allen, you know, in their choosing of extras, she may have been coming from experience like, honey, we I can hear her now. Honey, we need some fifth and sixth year looking seniors in here. <laughs> Get in here, baby. But you you ain't doing nothing. Come on. <laughs> Just sit right here. I I know you look old, but it was old people in college too. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you right. 
You're right. I take that back. <laughs> oh, that's okay. funny to me. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing that I do want to point out, okay. you know, because as we continue to go through, uh, we have asserted that this is the most important sitcom ever. But mm-hmm. as with most things, you know, times change, culture changes. And when you go back and, and, and look closer at, at things that were in the past, you might realize there, there might be some things that I don't know if it would pass the mustard today. Mm-hmm. Um, I know where you're and, going. Yeah. So there was one thing overall, you know, I think the scene was nice. Um, and they, they had that heart to heart moment between Walter and Dwayne. And then they just kind of ended it with Dwayne. You know, Dwayne asked Walter to help him get out of the course. And, and Walter said, all right, fine. I'll talk to Colonel Taylor. And Dwayne was excited. He said, oh, you know, I'm so excited. I could just kiss you. And then Walter was like, you better not. You're right. And, and you know, it was just a little subtle homophobic kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to kind of cut through that sincere moment between them, it meant mm-hmm. to be in a comedic way, but... Right. You know, and we'll get into it later about things that might be different if if this episode were to be done today. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that might not have um might not have been done is is kind of playing on the little homophobia thing uh, yeah. to get out of that moment. Instead, yeah. it would have been nice if they just kind of let let that sincere moment happen and not undercut it. Absolutely. Yeah, I picked that up too. I'm glad you remember because I forgot to make a note, but I definitely noticed that when watching it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So um, the show then pivots back to Gilbert Hall, where our favorite Renaissance woman, Miss Letty Bostic, is at it again. And what is she Ooh. doing, Portia? girl she is sculpting some clay listen i had an issue about whitley doing yoga all up in the living room and now we got letty doing a whole sculpture in the middle of the room and this is the first week of school girl why she decided to be out and in the in the common area and not in her apartment where she lives i don't know but because she, she needed room. out here. She needed space. She needed a different energy for that artistic project. Yeah, you're right. I guess artists artists gotta be artists and creators yeah. gotta create. Right. And they got the they got to go with the moment. I don't care if these children still trying to register and trying to get into their dorms and, and folks still trying to shift roomies roommates and stuff. She gotta get her hands on this clay cause the cause the moment is here now. Yes. That was her it's been listen. The first day, first week of school can be very stressful for a residential director. That was her finding. That was like her pocket of peace. But, and I have to, I have to throw this in here because we're in the 80s, etc. When she was doing the sculpture, the one thing I immediately had a flashback to was that Lionel Richie video. Yeah. <laughs> As soon as she did, I was like, "That I need her to turn it around so I can see if that is." Is that Lionel, Lionel Richie? Richie? <laughs> <laughs> who you... did not look like Lionel Richie, by the way? <laughs> that I don't know who that was supposed to be, but it wasn't. First it wasn't all, no Lionel Richie. Portia, I'm gonna need you to fall back because remember, the lady doing the sculpture was blind. Listen, 
I done seen some blind people do some amazing things. <laughs> they didn't have to put her out there like that. <laughs> Maybe she was amateur. But, so. but but anyway, anyway, we digress, we digress, we digress. Back to the scene. So Whitley enters while Letty is doing her sculpture and she begins this conversation about her new roomie, Kim. Whitley begins by exaggerating how well the two are getting along, but suggests that psychologically the two just aren't compatible and that, you know, Letty should really look into reassigning her roommate or probably not even, you know, or her not even having a roommate at all. But basically, Letty is like, I heard you shut up. Like, no, there are not going to be any changes. Put your big girl panties on and deal with it. The scene then pivots to Colonel Taylor, who is coloning. <laughs> <laughs> the colonel's going to colonel. Okay. <laughs> I.e. he is working out. <laughs> yes, Colonel Taylor, stay fine. <laughs> Looking like a snack. Okay, zaddy. Anyway, so Walter enters and initiates a conversation about Dwayne. We see that Colonel Taylor is aware of his reputation as Dr. War, and Colonel Taylor is also familiar with Dwayne Wayne. However, instead of Walter complying with Dwayne's request to ensure that Dwayne gets into the other professor's class, Walter expresses confidence in Dwayne and asks that Colonel Taylor make sure that Dwayne enrolls in Dr. War's class because Walter is confident that Dr. War will bring out the very best in Dwayne and that Colonel Taylor is what Dwayne Wayne needs to be successful. I found this scene to be so, um, I don't want to like overdo it, but I thought this was a very powerful, this was a very powerful scene for me to have, you know, this black man expressing and advocating on behalf of this other young black man, you know, to the elder statesman. I just, I love that. That was probably one of my favorite scenes of this episode. Um, what stood out to you about this exchange? Just to follow up on that, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was powerful. And I, um, you know, I just appreciated how how viewers could see, like, uh, just the the village taking care of itself you have this faculty member and this staff member working together to try to raise up this student and try to make sure that this student gets through he bought, he's already expressed that he wants to be an engineer but he also expressed his, his um his concern and his anxiety and you know walter uh, using you know in his wisdom kind of you know just saying listen i know that it's going to be best if this kid goes through you he needs this mm-hmm. challenge and and yeah. you are the best one who can who can uh you know shape and mold him and help him reach his goals otherwise he's just gonna you know he, he's not gonna do what he needs to do um and so i appreciated just the two of them kind of um working together to make sure that that this student achieves their goals 
Yeah. This also brought me back to um, that conversation that Grandpa Russell had with Denise, even though Denise is not there, right? But remember um, on this episode of The Cosby Show when Grandpa Russell is really trying to sell Denise on Hillman. And, you know, Grandpa Russell lets her know that Hillman is a place where people are family and that, you know, the instructors and the staff are really going to care about you. In this, we, in this particular scene, we see that HBCU characterization in action. And so I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. To have, to have somebody advocate on your behalf mm-hmm. and to have people working together. Um, yes. And, and have that personal touch. You're not just some student that, that's going to fall through the cracks. We're not going to let you fall through the cracks. Right. You definitely get the feel of like there's there's a village here, mm-hmm. right? And and this village is here and committed to your success. So I I truly appreciated that scene. Yeah. So also within this segment of the show, we or rather the show then takes us back to Jalisa and Freddie's room where Freddie. Uh-huh. Wait. Can can we also mention the fact that Walter is not only a coach and an RD. He's a grad student. Did you know that? I, I did not until going back and watching this episode. I didn't realize he was a grad student. I don't know what he's studying. Hopefully they'll reveal that. But mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting that, you know, again, uh, we know that there there are graduate programs at Hellman College. Mm-hmm. Also. Yeah. Yes. Two more things I want to mention about this scene. <laughs> Shout out to homegirl in the background who's just stretching and doing her exercises while these two men are talking about this student all in broad daylight. Like, <laughs> ain't nobody in no office or nothing. Dwayne's <laughs> business is out there. It's just all out there. Just all out there. And I'm assuming that this is the faculty staff, Jim. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't know him as finances. But I I would hope that at some point they are able to get a proper faculty staff gym. I don't want them to be in this classroom no more <laughs> with these pieces of equipment in this classroom. I need them to have a proper gymnasium, some proper exercise space. Listen, real talk. It wasn't until I was at Tougaloo that we got proper, I think maybe my sophomore or junior year, that we got proper weight room equipment and proper gym, what I would, you know, characterize as proper gym facilities. So, you know, the struggle be re- the struggle is real. The struggle is real, but the I just, listen, I'm going to need, need these faculty and staff to have a little bit more perks. Yes. Anybody they, can know, walk up in there. I ain't seen nobody at the at the front door making sure. <laughs> yes. And you know what? That is a great, you know, point or rather this is a great place to remind our listeners that, you know, we are highlighting different HBCUs after each episode. And this is why we have to donate to our HBCUs, folks. Because they need the resources, right? And so we have to do our part um, as as big or as small as it can. Every little bit helps, right? Every little bit helps. That's right. 
Although I would say, I think by today, if this episode was being done all over again, they would have a little bit more space. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and they would have somebody manning the table at the front to make sure whoever comes through is is yeah. has access. You can't just be yes. coming in off the street. Cause, yes, yes. Because, you know, uh, speaking of which, uh, shout out to Sister Beyonce. Uh, she facilitated the donation of um, Peloton equipment to several HBCUs oh, uh, a little while fancy. ago. Yeah, so that's exciting. I think uh, maybe Spellman or and or Morehouse was one, was one of the uh, several recipients of those Peloton bikes. So shout out to her. But uh, nonetheless, uh, back to the show. Next, we are back in Jaleesa and Freddie's room where Freddie is choosing classes and the two start to indulge in a little chat about Jaleesa's love life. Hashtag grown woman things. And, you know, they have a little talk about her summer romance with a young man who sent her flowers, etc. So, again, you know, just more reminders. That Jaleesa is a grown woman, and even when young men approach her, they approach her as a grown woman. That's right. (laughs) So, the show wraps up with our last scene. This time, we see students enduring the frustration of waiting in line to register for classes. So, you know, keep in mind... This is the 80s and probably only 80s babies and those older can understand what it's like to be in line to register for classes. Portia, I'm not sure what it was like for you, but at Colgate, were you guys or were you all um, online when you enrolled or did you still have to register in person? Because we definitely had to stand in line and register in person um, when I was at Tougaloo. Yeah, we, we stood in line. I think when I was a freshman, I probably mailed in my selections mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for that first semester, but then yep. second semester freshman year, I was in line and they, you know, they ordered it according to senior, junior, sophomore, freshman. So us yep. freshmen were the last ones to register and we had to stand in line and go up to the registrar's office and make our selections. And then if they didn't have it, then we had to get on that way. It, it was, <laughs> it was a process. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I do remember remember those days. So see, that definitely brought back memories. But nonetheless, while Dwayne is in line, Colonel Taylor, BKA Dr. War, walks in and immediately approaches Dwayne. And Dwayne, understandably, gets a bit nervous. <laughs> so a conversation ensues between Colonel Taylor and Dwayne. And Colonel Taylor notes how impressed he is with Dwayne's transcript and that he's impressed with his mind and that he would like to have him as a student in his calculus class. Colonel Taylor then gives Dwayne a verbal math riddle to solve, but the solution is that the two will meet in his class at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. So he asks Dwayne to enroll in his class, but it's really not an option. He voluntails him. <laughs> yes what's about to happen. In this scene, we also learn that Colonel Taylor is uh, the vice chair of the, of the math department. So the two will have to cross paths one day regardless. So why wait, Dwayne? You know, you might as well get this relationship going now. Uh, more importantly, 
what I love about this scene is that we see Colonel Taylor express sincere interest in fostering Dwayne's career as a math major at Hillman. Yeah. Yeah, that that was great to see. He he personally went out of his way to go get him. Yeah. And to tell him. And, you know, if you notice, they're walking around. Colonel Taylor don't care nothing about no crowd or lines, first <laughs> of all. Dwayne was at the front of the line about to pick his glasses. And he said, get out of line. Come over here and let's talk. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was a sacrifice. I understood Dwayne's pain after waiting... Who knows how long? And uh and Colonel Taylor's just walking around and girl, that crowd was parting. And <laughs> nobody wants to get close enough to Colonel Taylor. He's so intimidating. But yeah, he he you can tell that he's one of those people that although he has an intimidating reputation, he very much cares mm-hmm. about about his students and their and, and their uh their goals in life. And he yeah. wants to make sure that they achieve them. Yeah. But he's not going to coddle them. He's not going to baby them. He's not going to make it easy. He's going to make them work for it. But they Absolutely. will get it. Absolutely. And so, you know, Colonel Taylor, at the end of the conversation, he convinces him. And Dwayne goes ahead and registers for his class reluctantly still. But he knows this is this is what he needs to do. Right. And, you know, this also sets the stage for the relation, the enduring relationship that Dwayne and Colonel Taylor will have throughout the series. Right, right. It's, it's a great way to lay that foundation. So that pretty much wraps up um, the scenes in that episode. So, you know, let's wrap up this episode of Human Class Reunion with some final thoughts and takeaways. So one thing that stood out to me was that this was a this was really a standard episode. There was nothing explicitly super important about this episode or nothing explicitly like black black mm-hmm. you know other than just the fact that there's black people all over the place. But it wasn't right. like they they hammered it over your head and it's like this is an HBCU and this is important. And we're talking about this, this huge social issue. No, we're just talking about students moving in for the, to, for the new, new school year and mm-hmm. the challenges of, of trying to figure out what classes you're going to take and, and trying to deal with roommates. Real, real regular degular. Um, and it really wasn't that different in terms of, of topic. From right. a typical episode of season one, as as we said before, Dad Mumford wrote it and he wrote several episodes in season one, but it still felt different. There was something different about it. Um, and we have to give credit to to Debbie Allen with kind of helping to shape the 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 new world that we're starting to see or reshape the world that we're starting to see. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about this um, in season one or if I've heard it mentioned in interviews with Debbie Allen, but one notable difference um, in this episode and that we will see throughout the, the, you know, in the new 
or revamped a different world is that we definitely have more student adult interactions yeah i feel like in the first season a lot of the um the plot involved just the students themselves um this time we see the adults the professors the resident directors uh more involved in the lives of the students um which i appreciate because you know these are the people peer interactions you know are crucial and they are integral to the college experience but so are those adults right so are the ra's the residential directors the coaches the professors etc so we definitely um see the shift in the role that you know these adults will play and the lives of these students and the lives and the futures of these students. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that stood out to me is we're, we're seeing a different side of Whitley. Last season, we saw a bit more of a tough, you know, almost villainous kind of uh, mm-hmm. side of her. And now we're seeing her, she's a bit softer, but we also yeah. see her kind of like on her heels. She's mm-hmm. not in control like she was before. She's, She's met her match in Kim. Kim is not intimidated by her. She's not backing down. And she's not, um, you know, she's not moved by by Whitley having any kind of status. It doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. Even just the way that Kim talks to her. It's almost like a, I don't know, not nice, nasty might not be the the term because it's not nasty, but it's just, you know, like firm yeah she she's saying it with a smile on her face she's saying no with a smile on her face and willie don't know what to do and she's it's bringing out the immaturity in her she's (laughs) acting out throwing tantrums and everything and kim is just like all right yeah um i also like the fact that again i I can't say it enough there's a focus on academics Mm mm-hmm and um, again, that's laying a foundation because we are in college. And even though season one um, did have some episodes where academics were talked about a little bit, to me, it was more in passing. Where in in this particular episode, this was basically the plot. Like this, the the um, the conflict had to do with Dwayne's academics and his real feelings and you know feelings of intimidation we talked about his imposter syndrome and then again you know I can't uh, iterate this enough or emphasize this enough how this support system how his village really gathered around him to support and uplift him so I really like that and then um, last but certainly not least we um, have more of a gender balance which you've talked about already we are introduced to the men's dorm yes men's yes <laughs> mac lurkin hall and um we are introduced to these very prominent male figures uh, walter oaks and colonel taylor yeah yeah and and i'm sure we'll continue to see more of that gender balance throughout the season um you know and that that's important that's important yeah. to be able to show that different side and and i'm glad again that they we're able to elevate Walter and introduce Colonel Taylor and eventually we'll see we'll see Mr. Gaines as time goes on and, and continue mm-hmm. to see more of these male figures on the campus right. of Hillman College. 
All right, and then as we conclude all of our discussions, how do you think this episode would be done differently if done today? Well, we already mentioned that um, moment, the the heart-to-heart that uh, Walter and Dwayne had and and maybe ending it a little differently. Um, But also, what stands out, uh, we are still living in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so... If this episode were to be done today, right now, they would probably be doing long distance, you know, distance learning or virtual learning or implementing strict social distancing protocols. You know, it, we, we've come into a new normal. It's going to be very interesting to see how we um, reacclimate ourselves back into, you know, or, or try to shift back into um, life without wearing masks and social distancing and things like that. But it's, um, it's interesting how you can watch stuff, watch older things or even, um, new shows. And at least for me, I'm looking at everybody. I'm like, ain't no social distancing nowhere. Ain't nobody wearing no mask. I'm seeing folks touching everything. I'm seeing folks kissing all up in the mouth. Y'all mm-hmm. like it's just it, all of this has been so ingrained um, mm-hmm. into me that you know you you got to keep your distance because we have this coronavirus out here, and so you know even the scene where they were all in line for uh, registration, I was like that you you would not have that many people packed in a room trying to register no. for a class. So yeah, so you know in a very practical sense, I would imagine that would be a major thing that they would do differently. That would actually be very, in, very interesting if they attempted to do speaking of, of the pandemic and with Debbie Allen, she is the showrunner for Grey's Anatomy now. And Grey's Anatomy of course is set in a hospital. And so they're taking on coronavirus, you know, head on. Some of these mm-hmm. shows have decided that they're not going to address coronavirus some of them are addressing it, but it's not, you know, it's in the background, but they, coronavirus is, is part of the plot lines throughout the episodes yeah. and they, they have to talk about uh, social distancing and, and, um, you know, washing hands and things like that on the show. And then even in the making of the show, I've seen interviews and, and stuff talking about how they how they have these safety protocols, really elaborate safety protocols, you know, that at the end of the day, Debbie Allen has to be responsible for. Um, So it would be very interesting if they attempted to do a different world and how, what would that look like on a college campus dealing with the realities of coronavirus on a college campus? Definitely. Um, Another thing, and you, we've talked about it in our discussion of the scenes, but Definitely would not be doing registration in line. It would be done all online. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and let me see, what else would be different? I would, I would wonder if there would still be any uh, single-sex dorms. Maybe there are, but I would imagine there would probably be more co-ed dorms around, yeah. and, and that would... That would uh, allow for some very interesting storylines, for sure. Yep, definitely. I also don't think that um, they would place freshmen with juniors. Probably. To me, 
Yeah, I don't think, I think that probably was just like a necessary evil. Because it's not like that was a thing back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Just because they, they were bringing these new characters in. And so, you know, to kind of introduce the dynamic between the new people and the old people, they probably kind of had to do it. <laughs> yeah, if that was more realistic, they pro- first of all, they might not even be on campus. They might be in, in some off-campus housing. Yeah. Or they would probably have some singles, probably decided that they don't want to have any more roommates or you know but although Whitley probably would have still tried to stake her claim in in her uh legacy dorm room right and this this wasn't introduced in the plot but um a very real situation that could have led to the freshman junior roommate situation is one where there's a shortage of housing which happens across campuses on the regular right that's so, true when there's a shortage of housing, sometimes there's like this, quote, you know, for lack of better words, this misplacement of students. So if they could have ex- kind of thrown that caveat in there, like that's why um, Whitley has a new roommate or, you know, why she's rooming with a freshman, that probably may have given it some more, made it more clear or made it, you know, made it made sense. But who knows? That might have been written in, girl, and edited out. <laughs> <laughs> we only got 30 minutes <laughs> right 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 yeah all right and so last but certainly not least it is time to rate this episode so i believe our scale is one to five mm-hmm. last did we give anything did we give anything above a three last first season i don't think so i don't think so okay well this is a Different World is my, probably my favorite sitcom ever, and I would probably almost rank every episode as a five, but <laughs> to, you know, allow room and space and opportunity for episodes that I might like even better, I'm going to give this one a strong four. Yeah, I I would say a four. This was good. I thought they did a really good job of introducing the new cast members, the new characters. I thought they did a really good job of keeping the plot moving. They, I thought they had um, uh, really, what do you call it? You know, uh, storylines that made sense. We, we talked frequently about some of the things that the characters did in season one that just, it made no sense why, why a college student and why a young adult would be, dealing with this why why are they why on earth are they talking about eggbees you know the infamous mm-hmm. eggbee episode mm-hmm. um but you know this absolutely makes sense these are college students it's the beginning of the school year they're talking about roommates and class registration let's do it and you know who knew that that could be <laughs> that could be the source of entertainment so I I thought it was great. I thought they did a really great job of establishing um, this new environment, establishing new characters, and introducing uh, strong storylines. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I I almost want to give it a five, but just in case there's something I like a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. Going down the road. Okay. Well, Dr. Flowers? Dr. Ely? I think that's it. 
Yes, we we got through. We we have officially started on season two of a different world. I don't know. We just we're just excited to finally get to to the second season and yes. you know re, relive some of these moments along with y'all. We we really do hope that you're watching these episodes along with us and give us a shout out. Let us know if you're watching the show. Let us know what your favorite episodes are. Let us know if if you have any some any fun facts that maybe we've missed or anything that maybe we've got wrong. We're we're doing our best to try to get some information out there for you. But if you, if you have some other um, knowledge, let us know. Yeah, Sharon is Karen. Yeah. Please, please do. Yes, this was so fun. I enjoyed our conversation, and I'm looking forward to. Meeting you all back, classmates, with the next episode as we review season two of the best sitcom ever. So we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. I'm Dr. LaRonda Ely. And I'm Dr. Portia Flowers. Thank you for listening to this installment of Hillman Class Reunion Podcast. Hillman Class Reunion is produced, written, directed, and edited by LaRonda Ely and Portia Flowers. Original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Daquan Bowen. You can get more information about him at DaquanBowen.com. That's D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hillman Reunion, Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion, and Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. And visit our website at hillmanclassreunion.wordpress.com. And hey, classmates, like, rate, and subscribe to Hillman Class Reunion on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that you join us for our next episode of Hillman Class Reunion. Bye. Bye.